everybody, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Vic Mattis of the Free Beacon and the Sub Beacon podcast, which you can find on Patreon. How are you doing, Hammerheads, and how are you doing, Vic? Uh, I'm doing just fine. Did you have a nice President's Day weekend? Is it President's Weekend or President's Day weekend? I think President's Day weekend. Day. First of all, you have to spend part of the weekend trying to figure out where the apostrophe goes. That's important. <laughs> so I had that on my plate. It's really like an apostrophe um, now because it's a bunch of presidents now. I think <laughs> we're celebrating 44 presidents. It's it's several presidents that we celebrate. No, we had a we had a good weekend because, okay, so we traveled earlier in the week. We were in New yep. Orleans, ate, ate great food, uh, made it oh. back safely with the baby. I got to say, interested in taking a break from the traveling for a while. Excellent. I forgot how draining it is to travel with even the the best behaved baby, which she is. I've I've looked. She's the best behaved baby of all the babies. It's we still very our tiring. Kids were like three and five before we did any serious any plane traveling. So I, you, and so oh, wow. I'm just yeah. I'm just in awe that you. And I know people do this. My sister used to do this all the time with little kids going over to Europe and stuff. It's crazy, but uh, I, I did not have the uh, the courage to do that. Oh yeah, I, I like to break them in early, and I also it's it also is to break me in early because if you don't do it and you don't practice, you get more scared of doing it, and it sort of builds up in your head as this thing. However, if you just get out there and try, you get braver. Cool. And um, how I will say though, I have traveled many a time as a single mom with two children, two young children, sometimes cross country. I've never done international with the two kids by myself, but cross country for sure. And I look back now and I think, oh, I actually was just a little bit crazy <laughs> to do it. Like, how did I not lose one of them? They're so they're they're irrational. They run all over the place when they're toddlers. But I I found that when I was on the road with the two of them, they were nicer because they knew that they were at my mercy. I was their only choice. There was no there I was, was no other because it was a new environment. There was no other source to run to. No, I guess I guess you. No, you they get, were just like I I guess she's all we have. <laughs> you ever get to uh, just uh, still like roam around the airport with the kids or, you know, go into a new stand uh, or wait in line for 20 minutes at the Starbucks? No, in, in my way of doing things, there was no time for that. However, I am now married to Steve. So oh, yeah. we get there, we can chill out, we can have some coffee. We can, I got my nails done once at the oh, airport. That's how early we got there. The Denver incident where I had to run uh, a week or two ago was was out outside the norm for following with for traveling with Steve. That was a that was a that was a me move. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I practiced well, in that too. It's fine. It happens. It happens to the best of us. I also went on a little trip, but it will not be revealed until next Monday's bonus feature of the Sub Beacon. That's how you're going to find out. Subscribe on Patreon Subbeacon.com to find out where I went. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I the, the rest of my weekend was not very exciting. Although we did uh the big girls went to their grandparents' house. Oh, that's so they had a they had a blast. And I, in in the way of 40 somethings on a holiday weekend, got real crazy and cleaned their room. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. But I did the thing. They don't listen to the podcast. I did the thing where I went through their toys. Yes. And I just removed large, large chunks of inventory from the children's room are now gone. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, we once tried when the kids are small, we once tried to make them do it. Like there are lots of toys you don't play with anymore. Put it in this giant brown, like a, a grocery bag, just put it all right. in. And like, after a couple hours, there were like three things in there, two of which were happy meals. That is it. <laughs> That's the problem. And I have this problem too, because I'm, I'm a hoarder in my heart. Sure. Uh, I'm not allowed to be because I live in this house, but I, I am one. And so I can find a reason to keep pretty much anything. So I'm trying yeah. to discipline myself because there's just too much stuff in there. But I know that with the kids, if you went through it, they're like, oh, oh. this wondrous Happy Meal toy from six months ago is now the most important thing I own. Things that they have not played with in ages now. Oh, I love that thing. And they couldn't get rid of anything. So they don't actually, th that's the truth is they just forget about them anyway. So, I mean, if they're not playing with them, they're not going to be like, Hey, where did that thing go? Odds are, I mean, there might, there's a slight possibility they might, but, but the odds are they're going to forget about it. Yes. They, so they, they were removed. And then I added a bookshelf to each child's bunk. So on the wall in, on their next to their bunk beds they now have a a oh. shallow bookshelf not not a nothing dangerous i was gonna say uh, you can hit their head on but no i moved i placed them strategically so they were outside of head hitting territory yeah. however my oldest has a talent for things like that so i bet she'll she'll find a way <laughs> yeah no. i was like sleep you with your head here yeah do not sleep over here but i gave them a little a little tiny shelf to put some books in because they both they've they read before they sleep, which is fine. Yeah. But they are drowning in books. I mean, there are 10 books per bunk. Yeah. And I'm like, girls, let's just have a place to put them. So now I did that. And that is how a 40 something woman spends an exciting holiday weekend. <laughs> well, no, that's good for you. And, and bookshelves are a big thing. There are so many bookshelves, I think, that, you know, I'd love to have in my house, but I'm still waiting for Kate to get around to doing them too. Get on it, Kate. I did. It was one of those shelf designs where you have to have two, two like wood screws exactly aligned because oh, yeah. you have to match the little tiny holes yes. with the screw. Like, yeah, nice. I, stuff like that. I hate that kind of mechanism. And I bought it anyway because the shelf was cute. And then I paid the price because I had to spend a long time on it. But, you know, in our, in our, uh, in, in our living room where the piano is, we have these yes. uh, nice white uh, bookshelves that Kate got. And it required anchoring, you know, anchoring, yeah. you gotta anchor it. I'm like, we don't need anchoring. What, what happens if the kids, you know, they, I said, well, we'll take our chances. But of course, my father-in-law put the anchors in, so we're safe now. But I was oh, like, there you go. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Always outsourced. No, yeah. I, I, have, I have never anchored anything yet. Although on this kid, maybe I will. I don't know. I'm not, not a child, not a child-proofing enthusiast myself. No, no, we were very half sorts. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, there's a, there's impending danger around every corner in my household. Uh, speaking of impending danger, Ukraine. Yeah. Not even impending. I it's know. happening. Vic, Vic, I have, uh, I've read more about Ukraine in the last 48 hours than I expected to in the entirety of, I don't know, my, my forties. Yes. <laughs> have, uh, there's, there's a lot going on here and it's all, it's all stuff that, uh, that I had to refresh my memory about the various issues with Ukraine and Russia uh, because it does seem like this is a, sort of a, a cyclical thing. Uh, there was the uh, yeah. 2008 uh, incursion in Georgia yes. and uh, and then the 2014 annexation of Crimean yeah. Peninsula. And each time one of these things flares up, I 
go back to figuring out why. And then it quickly leaves my head because I'm doing things like making bookshelves and and throwing things out of my my kids' room. That that's most of my headspace is there. It's there, Vic. Yes. But now here we are with uh with Russian troops inside uh the eastern territories of Ukraine. The, the uh the dumb Donbass region. Donbass, yes. So they're they're there. There was there was talk of diplomacy still going on yesterday, but then or earlier this week, and then president of, of, of Russia, Putin, Vladimir Putin, who we have known for many years, gave a speech that I will not play for you in in ranting Russian because that seems just almost too intimidating for the for the podcast. Uh, but here's a here's sort of a, a take on it from Doug Lute, who was a U.S. ambassador to NATO talking on ABC. And if he crosses the border again with Russian troops, this is we should be very clear. We should be crystal clear. This is an invasion. We shouldn't get fixated only on Ukraine. Ukraine is the problem today, and it will be for weeks to come. But President Putin made clear in his speech that he's got ambitions beyond that. His ambitions beyond that are to essentially to rewind the clock. So that's the exciting news. The exciting news is that Putin, as always, uh, regrets the dissolution of the USSR and would like to take us back in time quite a bit. Yes, yeah, says the uh, former uh, head of the KGB. Sure, great. A big surprise. <laughs> But uh, it is it is it is very very uh, upsetting. Even though we all knew this was going to pretty much happen, his mo is familiar. I mean, he'll he'll plant the seeds early on by creating unrest, civil unrest in the areas that he so desires to go into, and then try to find a way that, that that'll give him reason to go in in order to either help you know Russian sympathetic citizens of this part of Ukraine or say that they're the ones who started at first because they're fighting a, <laughs> fighting back against the shelling. Right. Um, they're, they're defending, they're defending themselves. That's right. But one of the key things is, uh, is, is Putin questioning, not just the, I mean, cause you know, it's, it's not that he just, he, he doesn't want a sliver, right? He doesn't want the two little satellite states. He, he wants it all right. I, right. He, he wants, he wants, he wants Kiev and he didn't just question sort of like the sovereignty or the, 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 the rights of separatist regions like Donetsk and Luhansk, but actually Ukraine, you know, so mm-hmm. that's kind of a problem. Um, he called he called Ukraine a creation of of the Bolsheviks yeah. of Lenin. Yes. But, so so yeah. then, you know, he goes in and sending in peacekeepers. So, you know, they're not having to fight back as of yet. It, it's it's like, again, it's like Panzer's rolling it to the Rhineland. You know, or Austria. When, whenever I'm invading, I like to call them peacekeepers as well. Yes, just a nice. Uh... Yes. And, <laughs> but but and, and you know, the news now, of course, is that you know they're they're about to enter it uh, at the time of this recording into uh, territories that are rebel held, and I'm thinking, you know, what what rebels are those? Are those the Ukrainian rebels, the rebels who yeah. uh, represent the government of Ukraine? Yeah, right. So this is the this is the uh, from from Russia's point of view. Ukraine is gigantic. It is between Europe and Russia. Russia is even more gigantic with not very many people. And so a guy like Putin is like, how am I defending this from Western aggression, even though we're not super aggressive? He's the he's the aggressor here. But he says, well, how am I going to defend myself? I'm going to stir up stir up trouble in these eastern areas of Ukraine, which are more ethnically Russian. Russian speaking as opposed to Ukrainian, more in the East and aligned with the West, make trouble there, then invade, then uh, 
eventually, I think, get access to to various geographical reasons, regions that block Russia off from alleged Western aggression, which is what he had in the, in the they had in the time of the Soviet Union, right? Sure. That's why they spread all that direction. I was reading a several people made made reference to the old uh, Catherine Catherine the Great quote, which is, "I have no way to defend my borders but to extend them," <laughs> and that this is this is what this is what he is engaged in from his point of view, and that's, that's right. why the. The, the, the second part of Douglas uh, Lutz's uh, take there was Ukraine is the issue for now, but where does this head next? And I don't want to be alarmist about it, but if, if there is no price to pay for right. invasion, then there will be more invasions. He yeah, will go as far as you let him. You could imagine the, the people in Poland being nervous right now, watching how the West is going to react. I mean, it's the old argument of, you know, if it's, you know, is it worth going to war over X city in Europe? You know, right. it, and, and that, you know, it, it, New York, Los Angeles is not the same. You know, it's, you know, Warsaw is not going to be the same or Kiev, obviously, is not going to be the same as if it was a direct attack on something in the United States. I mean, that's an old argument. It's a Cold War argument, obviously. But there's also very much a, a Sudetenland argument going on here, which is, you know, you have these people, you know, on, on, on a strip of on the western edge of Czechoslovakia at the time. You know, that's a German minority majority that are supposedly being persecuted and and Germany needs to go in and protect those people. And the West is then thinking and trying to convince itself, is it really worth going to war uh, against Nazi Germany over right. this little strip? OK, it's more than a little strip. OK, so they end up taking the whole thing. And but hopefully he won't do it again. And it yeah. reminds me, and you sent over uh, the thread from Gary Kasparov. Kasparov. Yes. Kasparov. Um, and, and he has a line that says, not, he says, uh, not an ounce of courage, you know, from the West. And that's true. And, 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 and I think Putin is, he's playing it just right right now for him because he knows that there's going to be weaknesses. I mean, if Germany decides, right, they're suspending Nord Stream 2 right now, you know, how long is that going to last? And also, um, how long can they uh, brace for that? These uh, these sanctions. I think that Russia can hunker down for a while. So. Right. So that's that's part of this uh, dynamic is that much of Europe proper, especially Germany, where you might otherwise get pressure with sanctions, Germany is dependent on Russian oil. Yeah. Partly because their green, uh, or I got is it gas and oil? Their green plan was to eliminate nuclear after Fukushima, and depend Sounds on great. Russia instead. And this tyrant is like, oh, great. Now you uh, you depend on me. So now we're going to do the thing. And how are you going to stand up to me? Germany today announcing that they would not uh, basically sign the papers for Nord Stream 2, which is this pipeline that would bring them that that gas and oil. And uh, and a former Russian president, is Medvedev, tweeted, looking forward to seeing your gas prices in the near future, Europe, which is th that. I mean, he's just straight up trolling because that is the problem that they face. Which is why they can't be too aggressive about this. That's right. I mean, again, it's February, it's it's cold, and they need their heat. And if they shut that off, I mean, that would be the next step. And then how does the West react by that? By begging, again, as we discussed in previous episodes, Middle Eastern countries to up their oil production. Certainly not ours, because we're not into fossil fuels, but maybe- No, no, no. We don't want to do that. No. Oh, we don't. And it's the same thing. I mean, Germany, which is you know going to be, you know, they're trying to- you know, uh, convince themselves that they can get by with wind and solar because it's such a, you know, a lovely sunny country. Believe me, I lived there. I lived in Austria for also for like a, a year. And I think November, there was no sun at all. 
So yeah. I don't know how they plan on, on pulling this off, but it, it, it's clearly not a good situation for them to be in. And, and, and I think NATO, Putin's right to guess that NATO is not going to be completely in sync with this. Well, and as as of last night, and things may change, things will change quickly here as as we go. But the U.S. government's signaling that goalposts were moving last night, saying, "Ah, uh, uh, depending on where he's invading, we're not sure that that would warrant the swift and severe sanctions that we promised." Whereas the press secretary last month, uh, Jen Psaki, had said, "If any Russian military forces move across the Ukrainian border, that's a renewed invasion, and it will be met with a swift, severe, and united response from the United States and our allies." We shall see. Um, but I, look, again, I, I don't want to take like uh, too easy partisan swipes on something like this because it's bigger than this and NATO is bigger than this and the, the whole the future of the West is bigger than that. But we are we are not projecting strength, any of us. No, no. that's and um, that's a problem. This is it, it reminded me of Obama's red line during the conflict of the, during the Syrian civil war. And then they continue to use you know, chlorine bombs and chemical weapons like that after the red line, but because we actually did not want to, you know, go in there, you know, because, well, for many, for many reasons, being a hornet's nest and whatnot, but after saying it's a red line and it's not, then they know that they can do pretty much whatever they want. You know, for the most part, I mean, we have some involvement in Syria, but not to the extent that we threatened. And, you know, I can see the administration, the Biden administration, uh, thinking to themselves that this is, you know, by, Moving the goalposts, we're actually giving them one last chance to negotiate. Like, let's talk. We'll give you this little again. We'll give you a little bit of the Sudan land. You can have the Rhineland back, but you know, after that, then you know, this after that you guys really uh, have to chill, okay? Yeah, yeah. You guys really have to chill. Magnanimous and gracious, or whatever. And then you know, let's come back to the table. But of course, Putin is interpreting it correctly as weakness, in that he's able to then get more and more and more until they finally say stop. But I don't know what that is. Yeah. And the argument from from Putin has always been and from many actually Americans make this argument as well, that that we've sort of provoked Putin with and Russia with with NATO expansion, which, look, if you've got a giant, giant bully run by Putin on on or near your borders, you want to align yourself with a West that is willing to help you. And for us not to help them, obviously, you want to be delicate ish about these things. Yep. In the in the post uh, post Cold War era, but the idea that that we're the aggressors here, that the West is uh, is just wants to stick it to Putin, I don't I don't think aligns with reality. No, there's a lot that doesn't uh, align with reality. I remember um, when I was uh, studying in Vienna many years ago, and they were all excited about me. It's post Cold War, you know. It's the 90s. Sure, the Balkans were happening, but you know the larger picture was a celebration of this new era of peace. And it was, they were, I remember we, we, we discussed the, what was then the CSCE, but is now the OSCE, the Organization of Security Cooperation in Europe. And our professor, you know, she loved to throw around the phrase, like, you know, like a, a zone of peace from Vancouver to Vladivostok. Turns out she was going the other way, like across the Bering Strait. You know, oh, no. That's that's a, that's the zone of peace, by the way, that that area, this, <laughs> the illusions. And it's like, oh, this is going to be great, but of course, it didn't work out like that, you know. And and um and you had also mentioned, uh, you, did you read or see part of the, the Zelensky speech? So Zelensky, who who does genuinely have trouble holding this all together. I mean that that's been it's a yeah it's a problem from Putin's point of view, and it's a problem. The yeah. Ukrainians, because they do have these more Russian ethnic, ethnically areas, 
that then have been backed by troops and money from yeah. Putin on their eastern borders. In the past, Putin and others have tried to install pro-Russian governments. Those have not worked out because the people of Western Ukraine want to be aligned with the West. So they have this ongoing issue. But Zelensky says, dear people, this is the president of, uh, of Ukraine, dear people, we in our state do not have time for long lectures on history. That's a little little dig at, a, at Putin there. I will not talk about the past. I will talk about current realities and our future. Ukraine is within its internationally recognized borders and will remain so, despite any statements and actions of the Russian Federation. We remain calm and confident. I want to thank all our citizens for this. You are proving once again that Ukrainians are a smart and wise nation. And in spite of everything, we keep a cool head, react calmly, carefully, like an adult. We are ready for anything, but there is no reason for you to have a sleepless night. Well, it's nice <laughs> to hear. I don't know that I feel confident about that yeah, if I were Ukrainian. Yeah. I, I I don't think he's probably sleeping much himself, Zelensky, considering, you know, I mean, and, and Kamala Harris was in Munich. I don't know how confident he feels about that. That's that's another part of uh, not not projecting the strength and uh, that, that we would that we would like maybe otherwise like to, because the yeah. as a, as a as president of the Kamala Harris fan club, I nonetheless must let you know that her answers in Munich when asked about this did not sound encouraging. We're talking about the potential for war in Europe. I mean, let's really take a moment to understand the significance of what we're talking about. It's been over 70 years. And through those 70 years, as I mentioned yesterday, there has been peace and security. We are talking about the real possibility of war in Europe. We would all, not just prefer, we desire, we believe. It is in the best interest of all that there is a diplomatic end to this moment. And so where do we want this to end? That is where we want it to end. We have agreed that the deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one, especially because, remember also, we still sincerely hope that there is a diplomatic path out of this moment. They were not. Uh, it did not, did, did not sound like a leader who was well-versed in this. It's funny. You know, and they were all gathered there. This is their, you know, the big Munich security conference in case uh, listeners are wondering. Uh, I, years ago, by the way, before I worked at the Standard, I worked at a German defense consulting firm. And, uh, and, and of the, course you did. I did. It's <laughs> my background. Some people are wondering, like I did that because my original major was not food and drinking. You know what I mean? It was, it was actually international relations, but allow, they allow that, that major for basically everyone now. And it costs $130,000. Right, you could right. do that now. I, exactly. But the Munich security conference was like the big event. It was like their Oscars. This is the big event of the year, the Munich. And, but they used to call it, I don't think they called that anymore. They called it Verkunde. And they call it the Munich Security Commons. Ver means defense. And then Kunda is like customers. It's like your weapons customers conference, you know? It's like, hey, you want to buy a bomber? Hey, I always thought that that's what happened there, but I, I don't know. I never got a chance to go. But Romney, again, Mitt Romney continues to be vindicated. That's all. Ah, uh, yes. That is that is a partisan point that I am happy to make. Uh, 2012, Mitt Romney famously at a debate with Obama said that Russia was the number one geopolitical foe uh, of the U.S., and Obama replied with a with a one-liner that the the media just loved, which was the '80s called it once its foreign policy back. <laughs> right. Here we are in 2020, just doing some real throwback. Yeah, so that's 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 what's going on in Ukraine. We'll uh, we'll figure out um, how, where that's moving in the future. 
Well, we will keep our eyes on that. I mean, my son, by the have no choice. Son, my son made a prediction that the invasion would have happened and uh, that it'll, it'll happen in earnest on the 24th, because apparently February 24 is a big holiday in Russia. as uh, like defenders of the homeland holiday or something like that. Really? Really? Yes. That's his big conspiracy. Th- really? Already? At that age? Big- I mean, has he played a lot of risk with you? Yeah, no. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I mean, just finding reasons. I mean, these are our qualifications. And allies is really, really where I learned most of my sort of realpolitik. <laughs> and I, I read a lot of Twitter. So... Between the two of us, really, we could we should be going to Munich next year. We we'll go to Veracruz next. We got this thing on lock. So let's do let's do some COVID check in. Oh. COVID, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What do, what do we got going on in COVID world? Well, in Britain, good. some good news, which is let's hear let's hear Boris Johnson tell us the good news. First, we will remove all remaining domestic restrictions in law. From from this Thursday, 24th of February, we will end the legal requirement to self-isolate following a positive test. And so we will also end self-isolation support payments, although COVID provisions for statutory sick pay can still be claimed for a further month. We will end routine contact tracing and no longer ask fully vaccinated close contacts and those under 18 to test daily for seven days. And we will remove the legal requirement for close contacts who are not fully vaccinated to self-isolate. Until the 1st of April, we will still advise people who test positive to stay at home. But after that, we will encourage people with COVID-19 symptoms to exercise personal responsibility. Just as we encourage people who may have flu to be considerate to others. There we go, Boris. And man, does he have a head of hair. It's really, it's actually, it's he, he and, uh, he and his hair and Trudeau's hair are just exact opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. Uh, Trudeau is so quaffed. I was going to say, I was going to use the same word. It's a wavy coif. And, and and (laughs) it's like, you know, whatever, but. But I, if I was there, I'd be banging, I'd be banging that table and saying, "Here, here." So it's open. Yes, yes. As as would I. On the on the other end of the spectrum, we have well, it's not terrible, but it's funny. Yes. The, the bad from California. Our our friend Gavin Newsom announced this week that his California will be the first state to shift to an endemic COVID approach. Can you believe that, Vic? Yes. Uh, what does that mean, though? So, so the thing that cracks me up about this and is a hallmark of of COVID restrictionism is the sort of proud provincialism yeah. of these folks who just pretend that no one has done anything differently anywhere else. I mean, they they talk junk about right, Florida be- and Texas forever. But yeah. now that they're going to go to a less restrictionist policy, they're the leaders in endemicity. <laughs> yes. Yes. California the is leading, leader. leading the charge. Yes. Yeah, so he said, he said California's plan shifts from a crisis mentality to emphasize prevention and adaptability, oh, allowing officials to step up measures to detect and contain fresh outbreaks, as well as to look for new variants. It also includes more public campaigns against misinformation. I'm sure that won't go wrong. 
and the stockpiling of tests and equipment rather than mask mandates and business shutdowns. The SMARTER plan, they really did an acronym that spells SMARTER. Of course. Shots, mask, awareness, readiness, testing, education, and prescriptions. Uh, that's RX. Includes maintaining a store of 75 million masks, increasing vaccination, and daily testing numbers, monitoring wastewater for virus remnants, and responding to surges in cases by quickly bringing in extra medical workers, blah, 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 blah. This pandemic won't have a defined end, he says. There's no finish line. I feel like we've heard that before other places. Yeah, yeah. that we're not going to get to zero. I, I've never heard that, Governor Newsom. Thank goodness yeah. it wasn't recalled. Well, now Governor Newsom is is admitting it. Another entry in the bad category, which I forgot to send you, Vic, I apologize. But yeah. CDC reported in the New York Times isn't publishing large portions of the COVID data it collects for more than a year. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has collected data on hospitalizations for COVID-19 in the United States and broken it down by age, race, and vaccination status, but it has not made most of the information public. This article goes on to name a bunch of other kinds of data that they have not made public in part or in total. Various reasons for this. There are bureaucracies, so there's slow. There's a lot of data, some of it impartial, so that maybe they don't want to release too early thus giving people the wrong idea about the data. And then most importantly, they don't trust us to read the data. <laughs> yes. Uh, so my question with with that is, uh, does are, are any of this data, does it have to do with people who are in hospitals because of COVID versus people who are in hospitals with COVID? That's what I want to know. Yes, is, I, is there, do they have information on that it. that they're not releasing? Because I know even the administration wants to now suddenly look into this. Yes, I think some of that is included in in this over the past year data collection that was not released. And uh, yeah, just a lot of a lot of specific stuff. They got a, a, a wastewater data dashboard that has not been kept up with the various states and municipalities data on it. The agency leading the country's response to public health emergency has published only a tiny fraction of the data it has collected. Several people familiar with the data said much of the withheld information could help state and local officials better target their efforts to bring the virus under control. <laughs> it would be nice if they'd, if they'd release that. But I think this preoccupation with misinformation, mm -hmm. ironically, leads government agencies to misinform. Yeah. Because if we, if we had more data, there, I mean, that's the bottom line. More, more, more speech, more information is better than less. That, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, one of the other concerns you, when you were talking about California, by the way, is the, the lifting of the emergency measures and powers. But I think uh, one of the things that they can come back at any time, is that correct? If there is a new variant that is cause for concern, then whoop, it comes back up. Is right. That and that's and that's the to me, that's the main difference between obviously a California is more restrictionist on COVID than a Florida. But the philosophy was in Florida and has been in places like Denmark as well. Yeah. We will do maximal freedom allowed by surges and, and valleys. Right. So in the, it's not as if Florida had no rules, but what, what DeSantis did was say, I'm going to give you as much freedom as possible. I want, I want my restrictions to be minimally invasive to make a difference. And that's how we're going to play this. Whereas California was like maximally invasive. That's and right. we don't, we're not really going to study whether it makes a difference. We're just going to do the thing. And to me, yeah. 
the minimalist approach is both more moral and fitting for a free society. And it turns out uh, California didn't fare that much better, or if at all better. I, I like to think, by the way, that people really are done with the masks, you know, if they've gotten vaccinated or not. And if they've had it, I feel like indoors or outdoors, they're done. So I always feel like it's funny that they, you know, they're finally giving us permission, you know, to not wear our masks where a lot of us just were done with it already. And what are you going to do about it? Uh, I will say this where I went, uh, which will re be revealed again on next uh, Monday's bonus episode of the Sub Beacon. It was probably about 95% unmasked indoors yeah, and 5% masked. Whereas I come back to Arlington and it's about 5% uh, unmasked indoors, even though it's a really high level of vaccination, you know? And, and, and Well, if I understand it correctly, the place you went has a lot of, a lot of money in ventilation. Well, I'm not going to comment on any of that right now. Again, tune in on Monday. Um, uh, but it you know, will be revealed. That that's right, that's right. But I do get the sense when I, I when I look at these, you know, you you'll send the links over and look on Twitter about the announcements about they're going to be lifting up the mandates or we're going to go into endemicity and this that. There is still a good little chunk of people out there who are very scared to go out, and there I feel like there's there's like I, I get a sense of panic from them because they'll say that they look around, they 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 look at people waiting in lines outside without masks and then they go back inside. And I think that's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's of concern is all I'm saying. You yes. And I, I think that's been covered. That's been covered. Uh, I think, you know, written about in the New York times and other places where it says, and Washington post where people have said, look, I'm, I'm going to be nervous about re-entering -enter society. And I think if you have been in your house and told that this, this thing is super, super dangerous and you have not worked your muscles for going out and incurring some risk, then yeah. you are going to be out of practice and it's going to be pretty hard for some people. I do think that, and this is like the, the root of my annoyance with so much of this, that we treated everyone as if they had the same risk profile. Yeah. And therefore a bunch of people who do not have a bad risk profile. It doesn't mean that COVID is fun to get or that I was excited to have it or any of that stuff, right? Yeah. It just means that my risk was relatively low and I could go out and do some things. A lot of people did not get that message because that was not the public health message. And it should have been after yeah. a very short period of time. That's it should have been. Especially with schools. Yes, which are, by the way, the, uh, the mask situation in, in Northern Virginia proceeds apace with a, a couple of the, the suing School districts continuing to be stubborn, but kind of they're, they're holding on by their fingernails, man. They're, they're like, technically, we will still require masks. But I guess at some oh. point in the future, when the off ramp committee meets for the good of the people, you know, it's just like a ton of emails with just nonsense. Right. We got a letter from our PTA and it's the very last line, you know, near it's towards the bottom of that, the, the email from the PTA saying, Although it did pass, although it did, keep in mind, not until the end of right. <laughs> in March that we will, you know, this or that or whatever. And, and again, you know, kids, you know, they've been conditioned now to just wear the mask everywhere. But, you know, I think hopefully in little ways, in little ways, they'll be able to not have to wear their mask in between bites and sips. Why don't we start with that? I'm not saying you walk in full fledged. Well 
without yeah, they, they, they attempted, know, of course, public. they attempted, of course, in L.A. to to loosen uh, outdoor masking requirements for children, which are I mean, it oh. is worth taking just a moment to think about how insane that is. That has no basis in science. It is when adults when adults are going around at bars and everywhere without masks oh. and, and restaurants without masks. But somehow outdoors, you have to wear a mask because why? Because the kids are spreading it more. It's more deadly to kids. How did this happen? So. Uh, Emily Oster, by the way, one of my favorite uh, writers, an economist at Brown University, University, who was very early on the open schools mm-hmm. and we can open schools safely beat. And she took a lot of heat for it from fellow liberals. She wrote a piece this week for The Atlantic saying that our children last policies are just not justifiable. And so I, I appreciate her doing that because she'll get a lot of heat for that one, too, oh, online. But it's, it's just it's just the case. It's. It, it is hard to justify the fact that the one population we remain restrictive about is the one, the one that yeah. is least at risk. Yeah. doesn't mean not at risk, but so least at risk. It, it, it's baffling until you really start, you know, well, you don't even have to think that hard, but figure out, well, who's behind all this? Well, that would be yeah. teachers. Unions. Yeah. And I think that was the the source of the balking in, uh, in L.A. school district. Uh-huh. When the, health, the local health department said you can take the masks off. Yeah. Local school district, like we need to consult with the unions for sure, and they're going to say no. So here we are. Oh, speaking of oppressive regimes, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, speaking of send peacekeepers in. Yeah. <laughs> Up our neighbor to the north, our neighbor to the north, still operating under the Emergencies Act, which is a pretty only enacted two or three times in history before right. now, as the War Measures Act is what it was called before gives the federal government a lot of powers to disband protests and and get rid of these blockades at the borders, which actually became sort of a non-issue before the Emergencies Act was enacted on February 14th. They had to get a vote in Parliament to continue the Emergencies Act or to approve the Emergencies Act uh, within a week, and they got that vote this week, I believe on the 22nd, or yeah. no, the 21st or the 22nd. They got that vote. And so Canada remains under the Emergencies Act. I know you'll be surprised to hear this from Justin Trudeau that, you know, a lot of the problems have been solved, but I feel like, do we still need this? Maybe we still need this. As I said, the Emergencies Act is not something to undertake lightly. And it's something that needs to be momentary, temporary, and proportional. That's why every single day I'm receiving briefings and we are reflecting on how much longer the Emergencies Act needs to be in place. We don't want to keep it in place a single day longer than necessary. But even though uh, the blockades are lifted uh, across border uh, openings right now, uh, even though uh, things seem to be resolving very well in Ottawa, this state of emergency is not over. Uh, There continues to be real concerns uh, about the coming days, uh, but we will continue to evaluate every single day uh, whether or not uh, it is uh, time and we are able to lift this state of emergency. It's no, it's quite something. It it reminds me of, you know, I don't know, Michael Corleone, you know, you know, when he said, and he says, I don't have to wipe everybody out, just my enemies. You know, I mean, this is sort of what he's aiming to do and, and, and certainly using as using, uh, the financial tools that they they've already implemented against the uh the you know the the freedom convoy and anyone who has dared to support them you know it's really 
can be quite devastating. And well, if you're in the position to wield that sort of power, I, I can imagine it's addictive because you can use that against a lot of different people. But again, there are people who you can commit, you know, actual serious crimes and, you know, be accused of, you know, assault, murder or whatnot. And, and you're, you're, I don't think they're going to freeze your immediately freeze your bank account. And, uh, oh. and somebody has to explain why they gave 250 bucks and, well, and this is- be completely shut out of society. And they can, you know, I hope they have a, like a, a you know, bags of cash in their basement because what are they supposed to do? Well, and to me, that is maybe the more disturbing part of this. Cause to me, the, the, they had the police powers to disperse crowds and to get people off of the bridges, right? You, those, you have some of those powers when people are engaged in civil disobedience or something illegal, you have some of those powers, even while you're allowing uh, free protests to continue that is peaceful in other areas, right? The, the icing on this, this cake was the, the special financial powers, which the, uh, the finance minister has been talking about. And here's, here's, a, here's some, some video of her laughing as she's confirming that indeed they have frozen a bunch of accounts. So you're confirming that accounts have been frozen, both personal and corporate, but you're not releasing the information. And the actual follow-up is, um, I'm just wondering whether the bank accounts will be targeted of individuals who donated to the Give, Send, Go and the GoFundMe campaigns. Are they considered designated people under the Emergencies Act, meaning that their credit cards could be cut and financial services are targeting them as well? Okay, so the names of both individuals and entities as well as crypto wallets have been shared by the RCMP with financial institutions and accounts have been frozen and more accounts will be frozen. Uh, Crowdfunding platforms and payment service providers have started the registration process with FinTrack. Uh, In terms of the specifics on whose accounts are being frozen, uh, you now have the regulations. The financial service providers have those regulations as well. And they, working with law enforcement, will be making the operational decisions. Yeah, NBD, guys. She, uh, that is that is Christia Freeland, who is the finance minister in Canada. By the way, Matt Taibbi, uh, formerly of the Rolling Stone, now of his very successful Substack, wrote that he knew her when they were both, wait for it, reporters <laughs> in Russia uh, many years ago. And she is now the Canadian finance minister. And uh, he said, the, he writes, the Emergencies Act contains language beyond the inventive powers of the best sci-fi writers. It defines a, as you heard in the clip, designated person, a person eligible for cutoff of financial services as someone directly or indirectly participating in a public assembly that may reasonably be expected to lead to a breach of the peace. That is a lot of wiggle room for, uh, for Ms. Freeland here. The, the other thing is her response was really impressively all in the passive voice accounts will be frozen you know who was doing it you know who who's to say who's to say who's to say um Uh, so so that that continues and you know one member of uh parliament in canada tweeted about a single mom who donated 50 dollars, who allegedly had her account frozen now other people have said like well what's the proof of this but the burden of proof is actually on the canadian government because they 
have expressed that they have the powers to do this. They have sworn they won't do it to small donations, but the the word of the government is not the word that you should be taking. And uh, I I pray that these people have recourse and I am happy to give to GoFundMes or Give Send Goes for those people. Yeah. When when such time comes and feel free to out me because I just outed myself. You can't come for me. You can't come from me, Canada. Help the people who are helping the other people. You'll get frozen out too. The the only people who can do banking very soon will be just, you know, the people on the left. So that'll be it. But how do you get out of it? So once once your account is, how do you unfreeze your account ever? Well, that's the thing about the the Emergencies Act. In in enacting the Emergencies Act, the, the people in power assure everybody that there's recourse, that there's there's ways that you can address this after the fact yeah but that's a problem that's a problem because it costs money to address these issues which you don't have because it was frozen in your account you're going up against the federal government who claims that you are part of creating an emergency situation uh this is a tough hill to climb if you've had things taken from you and you need to redress your grievances which is by the way what you got in trouble for in the first place That's right no it's a very effective way to you know squash the resistance or the opposition to anything and again i i try to keep my i try to keep my chill yeah. uh but and and there's been a there's been a a very twitter argument going on about who should we whose loss of freedom should we care about more ukrainians or canadians and uh and i would i would say that you can care about both yes. uh both are medium alarming what's going on and uh i i do i understand people's emotional reaction to canada because it is a neighbor it is someone with whom we share many cultural uh touchstones oh, sure. and that we sort of thought we were on the same page whereas putin we we know we're not on the same page that that was that was a given so <laughs> i understand the the emotional response to canada but i i would i would say we can care about both does Biden have the bandwidth to care about both? I don't know about that, but yeah, hard to tell. It's yeah. By the way, some some have also made the point that um, and I do I. Trump, you know, badmouthed NATO and was way too nice to Putin rhetorically, right? Right, but and there were policies, and there were threats to leave NATO. That's right. Right, and those those, but his policies didn't always reflect the way he was talking. Right. And so okay. now, Very you know, we, and I think in the end, why did, why was Putin aggressive in 2014 and then not during those intervening years? And now he's, he's aggressive again. There is some value to Trump reading like a crazy man. Yeah, no, it, it's, it, it's the loose cannon strategy. Yes. You don't know. He like, might just press out. You know? I wasn't super comfortable with it, but I'm just saying that that's the killing of Soleimani and everyone said that's going to lead to World War Three. you know, yeah, that, was, that was the message to the, the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That's it. You know, the whole the peace process is going to everything's falling apart. And he had been proving correct every time. And then, of course, well, again, so people don't know what he's going to do, it, even though everyone might tell him not to do something, he might just do it. So that I think that probably did keep adversaries at bay. Yeah, the, the loose loose cannon deterrence. Speaking of loose cannon. Oh. Uh, Michigan basketball coach Jawan Howard suspended after going loose cannon on the basketball court. He's suspended for the rest, rest of the regular season because he threw a punch at a Wisconsin at a Wisconsin basketball game. Ooh, and it started a big old brawl. The Big Ten Conference has suspended him 
uh, for five games. Howard was also issued a $40,000 fine, the Big Ten said in a statement. That was, that was a look. I'll, I'll tell you, if, if you watch the, uh, uh, the clip of the coverage of it and the reaction to it, it was uh, my favorite part was when Juwan Howard, before the punch is thrown, he has words with the assistant coach from Wisconsin. Yes. And then it gets really heated. It escalates very fast. And then my favorite part is when Juwan Howard takes off his mask. Now, lots of people are not wearing masks there, but he decided at that moment, I got to take my mask. That's how serious this is. I'm taking off my mask to scream at you. Yeah. You know, he's he's a tall guy. I used to watch when he played for the Wizards. And that's a long arm because there's a big crowd separating him from the assistant coach. And he still got, you know, the smack part of his head. It was, it was not a full on, you know, punch to the, to the like square on on the face, but it was enough. And the wing, the wingspan is impressive. It, it is. It is. And he was very angry. And again, it's not, it's not hockey, but uh, these things happen in, in, in basketball. So he'll get suspended for it. I do want people, if they're wondering what happened, it was because of a very questionable timeout that Wisconsin took towards the end while they were pressuring them to turn over the ball. And they almost succeeded in pressuring them to turn over that ball. It was a little bit of a gang up. So, I mean, it could go either way, but that's sort of why he was really fired up about this. And they, they have not been having a good year this year. Not as bad as Georgetown, but they did not have a good year, as most people would expect from the Wolverines. Yeah. He said, I'm, I'm offering my sincerest apology to my players and their families, my staff, my family, and the Michigan fans around the world. I would like to personally apologize to Wisconsin's assistant coach, Joe Krabbenhoft. Wow, what a name. And his family, too. Lastly, I speak a lot about being a Michigan man and representing the University of Michigan. Of course, he played for them back in, in my basketball fan heyday uh, and representing the University of Michigan with class and pride. I did not do that, nor did I set the right example in the right way for my student athletes. I will learn from my mistake and this mistake will never happen again. No excuses, exclamation point. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty clean cut apology. That is. And I, he'll be back. They'll have a better year next year. That's okay. It happens. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> you know when it happens to the best of us? When we've had a few too many beers. Oh, hey, how about that? (laughs) I want to talk about this noble project of the Free Beacon. Yes. The Free Beacon reports, we drank all the trendy light beers so you don't have to. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm kind of happy to drink them anyway. (laughs) Out of curiosity or... I, uh, so, so this was a piece that Tim Rice, our associate editor, Tim Rice had put together. I didn't even know he was working on it. And I told him after I read it, it was clearly the best thing he'd ever written. <laughs> I mean, he's written some serious things, but this, this is it. And I, I, he has it down just pat. It is funny. I, you know, I found it very amusing, but I, myself, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a beer drinker a lot anymore because of my condition, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. my gout condition. Yeah. Yes. So, but I, you know, I do like if, if somebody's offering a Coors Light and I allow myself one, then I'll have a Coors Light and I think it's just fine. The other one's less. So what I don't understand, uh, Tim really liked the Corona, the new Corona one. And I know there was already a Corona and a Corona Light. So I don't know why there's a third one. Isn't Corona in and of itself a light beer? Yes. No, they're getting lighter and lighter. I think that's the, that's what's going on here, right? Like Yingling Flight is is new he calls it by the way a shameful offering from america's oldest brewery yeah, no, i love you i'm a big fan of yingling and i think yingling's, yingling's great golden golden which is the pilsner is excellent 
on the rare occasions that I have beer, you know, not every day, you know, or every hour, but every other day and every other hour, but no, right, right. I, I don't, but I had it recently and it was, it is really good. That's right. He, 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 he did not like the one. What about you? What, what, what is there? So a, my, yes, you and Steve drink okay. Michelob Ultra because of your workout thing. Going. You know what? We, we do not, although I, I don't mind Michelob Ultra. I don't drink it because if I'm going to have a beer, I might as well just have a beer, right? Like it right. bring on the carbs. I like, I actually enjoy uh, a Miller Lite, just a regular old Miller Lite. Yeah. I also enjoy, and I know that this is trashy, but it puts me in the same category as General McChrystal. Uh, I enjoy a Bud Light Lime. I like a Bud Light Lime at the lake during the summer. I am not ashamed. It's delicious. <laughs> it, 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 do you drink that because you can't find Zima anymore? So <laughs> it's not, it just has a it just has a hint of lime. It's like it's like if you put a lime in your Corona, except you didn't have to do that work. It's not over. It's not overly limey. Like you ever get those uh, those tortilla chips that are like lime flavored? Just they're terrible. Yeah, Alex. No, it's I don't think it's overly oh, limey. Yeah. The orange version is overly orangey. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that one, but we have the, the various, I'll, I'll do the ranking last Yingling flight. Then we have in number five space, uh, Coors Pure. I love the names they give these. Bud Light Next is up. The can for Bud Light Next is very seltzery, girly looking. It does not look like a light beer. It looks like a different offering. He said he fully expected to hate it, but apparently not as not as terrible as he thought it would be. <laughs> then we have number three, Blue Moon Light Sky. Yeah, I like Blue Moon. The blue Isn't moon it already light? Tough. Yeah, yeah. He said, like Yingling, Blue Moon's light beer tastes nothing like its tentpole brew. But in this case, that's a good thing because Blue Moon is terrible. <laughs> right? No, he's yeah, he's no, it's fine. It's it, it's it's not for every occasion. But you know, if you want a little fruit in your beer. <laughs> As as we've established that I do. Corona Premier, which is, again, there's Corona, there's Corona Light, now there's Corona Premier. Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. Far and away, the best beer in its class. It's right there in the name. Drinking a gold is like drinking sunshine or a long weekend. In fact, golds are so good, Michelob should seriously consider discontinuing regular ultras, which serve mostly as an overcarbonated reminder that American males between the ages of 17 and 25 will drink anything you hand them. <laughs> That's right. You can get you know, there you go. off ice. It, it reminds me at Port City Brewery. I don't know if you've been there. It's in Alexandria, Virginia. I have. Uh, they used to have uh, a sign. Uh, they have all different amazing different kinds of beers that they make over there on premise. Uh, and then there was a sign that said Coors Light here. And if you go to where the sign is, it's a water. <laughs> but Coors, Coors used to be uh, quite sought after uh, yeah. back in the sort of oh, yeah. pre-deregulation of the alcohol yeah. uh, market days. Isn't that uh, back in, back when it was the subject of of Burt Reynolds movies? Yes, that's right. And you know they blew it deep inside the Rocky Mountains. This is very cold. Oh yeah, no, that I I I enjoy a silver bullet on occasion too. <laughs> uh, and I and I like I like that the mountains are color coded so that I know that if my I know if my beer is cold because how else would I know? That that's right. How it's, else would I know? Vic? What is rare? You rarely see people just drinking regular Coors anyway. Which I always get confused. Of oh, the banquet beer. The banquet beer is it that that's banquet? Daddy, I guess because we don't go to too many banquets. Okay. The banquet um, beer. Miller I, High Life and the banquet beer. Those are really. If it. you want to go classy, you yeah, can have those yeah. too. 
I, I saw recently during uh, the football season commercials for Bush Light. That's horrible. That, That's a college drinking beer right there. You know, I used to complain about this all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, when I have a party, I'm definitely not serving that. And then you find out how much a keg costs. And it's so shocking. So I'm like, I'll oh, forget that. Take the take the Bush Light and we'll put a, a bag of ice on top and we'll say it's Bush Ice. That was my joke. There you go. There you go. Um, For Milwaukee's I, best. I have a call out. You're going to love this one. All right. All right. A call out to Canadian friend of the show, Ian Brody, who tells us that Candace Bergen who he works for, the interim conservative oh. party leader, is, quote, as fantastic as you and MKH think, and he's sharing the podcast with her. Oh, how nice. It's- well, our Canadian coverage has has gotten us our foot in the door up north. This yes, is what I was no, looking uh, for. Uh, thank you, member, member Bergen, for tuning in. We, you know, you can trust us. We know what we're talking about. And a clear- <laughs> this, is my, this is, by the way, this is just the beginning of my Putin-esque plan for domination up north. This is, I'm just, I'm just getting a, a, oh, yeah, this, this, a tent right now. This is how we start. Okay. And a clarification. Also, apparently my joke about there being only four provinces, provinces in Canada is not far off. As Ian Brody points out, when Canada was founded in 1867, we started with four, Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. We didn't get to the current 10 provinces until New Finland joined in 1949. Uh, is there that you go. Newfoundland or Newfoundland? Newfoundland? I, they sounded the same to me. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I used to think it was Newfoundland. Okay. Newfoundland, that. yeah. You call it Newfie like a dog. That's what they call the dogs. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. That wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I am Mary Catherine Ham. I'm at MK Hammer on Twitter, at MK Hammer Time on both Substack and Instagram. You can find me both those places. Thank you so much for subscribing and reviewing. We really appreciate it. Tell a friend and come back and listen soon. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast.